Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. It's a snow day here at the Hamumu home where the horror hoedown happens. (laughs) That was some hefty alliteration. We have not had hefty snow, though. No, we have had 0% snow. There was some rain yesterday. There's ice on everything, and it's boring. I'm so sorry. It's not the snow day I was after. Well, uh, was this movie the movie you were after? We'll find out during the ratings. Because it was a snow day, we were eating grilled cheese and tomato soup when we started this movie up. We were. And immediately, the movie clearly represented tomato soup as blood well there was the transition like this movie more than possibly any movie we've watched in like the recent history started with gore yeah hey everybody our movie is called saint maud from 2020 i thought i should probably mention that since we didn't actually do so when we were recording the podcast And honestly, it was some of the only gore in the whole movie was this opening scene of, I don't even know what happened there, was a mess in Uh this, like, some kind of room in a hospital. I don't know if it was a morgue or a treatment room or an emergency room, like a surgery room. I don't know. But it was one of those ones where there was, like, blood dripping from hanging hair which is always a bad combination yeah yeah because then you got to wash your hair sure that's what i meant i thought so (laughs) but then it transitioned like the the from that scene it immediately transitioned to an extreme close-up of tomato soup which was upsetting a little it was tasty though (laughs) was it yeah i liked it it's because i added uh red pepper flakes to the blood that too oh (laughs) One of my notes says blood, blood. Blood, blood? I don't think I meant that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Here's the thing about that scene. Which scene? The opening scene. The opening scene. I don't know if you caught the little moments, because my interpretation of what happened, this was the event that kind of got her kicked out of the hospital, like they wanted to cover up her existence and like, Forget about her because she's dangerous and weird. Right. And it turned her life around because she became Saint Maud after this. She became hyper-religious and messed up. Right. What appears to have happened, based on really quick flashes later in the movie, and doesn't make sense to me, is that she worked in like palliative care at this hospital. And so there was like an old, old lady you know, fragile thing Mm -hmm. who she had to do chest compressions on. And she didn't just crack her ribs. She like smashed her chest open. And I don't know if that really happened, but that scene suggests it did. Yeah. 
And that was horrifying. Yeah. Okay. I mean, can you draw blood that way? You'd have to like Superman punch through their chest. I mean, yeah. It was like if that woman had been made out of cray paper and rice crackers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) To put in your soup. Yes. Cray paper, rice crackers, and tomato soup. (laughs) Yeah. It was very much like that, actually. Ew. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want crepe um, paper in my soup. No, and and it makes me wonder, because Maude was also extremely sick. Like, I spent most of the movie trying to diagnose what was going on with her. Because she she starts out, like, she's talking about how she's been having these stomach problems, and she's drinking milk of magnesia, and, oh. and then later, like, she's vomiting, and... Well, she also drank a lot. She did, but I don't think that's what that was. Like, I think there was something going on with her stomach where she had, like, I don't know if it was massive ulcers or mm. what was going on, but she definitely was having stomach problems. And then she was also having seizures and hallucinations, which, I mean, I've watched enough television to know <laughs> that that combination generally means some kind of brain tumor. Yeah. Also, she got bloody noses out of the blue. See, so there were all of these things that she was interpreting as like trials and, and visions and, and whatnot that made me wonder, what is she dying of? Yeah. Like, I thought she had some kind of cancer also and that maybe she was going to discover that as she was caring for this woman who had spinal cancer and like there would be a whole thing but i don't know that she ever really discovered what was going on with her yeah i don't think so um she didn't really need to in the end but no well that's true but so to go back to the scene you're talking about though like maybe she killed this woman by like crushing her ribs or whatever but that the pushing her hands through her chest into her lungs and heart, like <laughs> like that that was a hallucination brought on by whatever yeah. like brain tumor or whatever is going on in her head. That makes sense because it doesn't seem possible. No. But then like she interpreted all of those seizure type things as being God coming close to her. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that, you know, she talked about feeling pulsing energy and like that Mm -hmm. was God and really that would be a symptom of whatever's going on in her brain. Sure. So, yeah. I guess the most interesting aspect to this movie for me was how, like, it really made me think about how often throughout history people have had visions or you know other mm-hmm. things like have had these hyper religious experiences and it really made me wonder from where i stand as not really believing in any of those things like how many of those hyper religious experiences that people have come from something going on in your brain yeah there's there's some kind of actual a thing, you know, that religious people go to church and, you know, all the choir music happens and they feel heavenly at church. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in this group, hearing a sermon, having the music, there's like a some sort of feeling that comes from that. It Like, it 
I forget what they call it, but like the, a divine feeling. Mm-hmm. And that is measurably like some kind of something that happens in your brain. And there are, I think uh, psilocybin triggers that. Like, so you take it and you feel like, oh, now I understand God. Another interesting thing about that that has nothing to do with this movie, mm-hmm. the idea that you are an entity that you are seeing out of your eyes and you are just you. Okay. I think it's psilocybin, magic mushrooms, that takes that away. It removes that feeling. So that's why people talk about, oh, I'm connected to the world and we're all one. It's because all that is is like a feeling. There's no reason why you are just you. Like, that's just a perception. Interesting. It's weird. That's very interesting. Well, this so if this movie, and when I think about that concept of like your brain doing things and then, you know, how we interpret that, in, whether it becomes a religious thing or, you know, there's a lot of ways that our brains interpret the things that happen inside them that, you know, become interesting stories, I guess. But it always makes me think of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Because I had, like, when I was <laughs> in... Appropriately. Like, when I was in high school, I had kind of this little obsession with Joan of Arc. Like, I thought she was such a fascinating character. Character. She was a human. Like, she was a real person. <laughs> but, like, who she was and, and how she moved it through the world and what she became because of those things was just fascinating to me. Especially when I would think about the fact that we won't ever know why she felt the things that she felt. Like, yeah. was she being touched by God? I don't know. Was she experiencing a brain tumor? I don't know. (laughs) Like, did she have some sort of seizure disorder that, you know, I I don't know. Well, and that's what I was saying with the the church thing, like that feeling, you know, in addition to coming from appropriate sources, like being at church, can be triggered by seizures and things Mm -hmm. like that. And that's why people get some of these weird ideas that, Mm -hmm. oh, when, I, when my dog talks to me, that's the voice of God talking through him. It's not just because they're having a weird idea. It's because they're actually feeling heavenly, magical feeling at the time. Sure. It's kind and of strange. you think about how often people who had seizure disorders, like historically before they were understood as a yeah. brain thing, like how often those people were either honored or vilified as being closer to God because yeah. they had those feelings. Or they were possessed by the devil. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow being more connected to the supernatural <laughs> yeah, one way spiritual or the other. elements. But this movie like definitely had a lot of that hinted throughout it. It didn't talk about it overtly necessarily. In fact it like not just necessarily it didn't talk about it overtly. It it avoided that overtly because she believed yeah. that she knew what was going on. And it was that God was talking to her and testing her. But it was also presented, I think, really clearly that it was seizures and all in her head. I mean, you could consider it otherwise, but I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, here's the thing, though. It's pretty obvious to interpret it that way from your perspective, from my perspective, because we don't believe that the mm-hmm. other perspective is real and we do believe. <laughs> 
believe that this perspective is real. And I think that it would be very easy for, you know, somebody who had like strong religious beliefs to watch this movie and get a completely different story from it. I mean, that is possible for someone to do. But I think the movies, you know, when I say it's very obvious what it's doing, I think I think that's the intent. Like how at the end, this movie ends with her immolating herself, and it's very heavenly until there's a flash yes. of what's really happening, and she's just burning. Yes. And, I mean, I think that's kind of, they're like, yeah, sure. this is all normal stuff. It's just she misunderstands it. Right. It's from Maud's perspective, but you're saying that the character of Amanda, who does not believe and who sees what Maud is doing the same way that we do, that she's more the character, or she's more the voice of the actual author. Yeah, I I think so, because you get things like when Maude is having some of these seizures, she'll be like foaming at the mouth and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it'll cut from that to weird stuff like she's floating in the air. Right. But it's also clearly showing the normal version of it, what's really going on. Yeah. Huh. Which presents the kind of cardinal problem with this movie or bishop problem or pope problem i see what you did there a little (laughs) religious wordplay it was exactly (laughs) which is that the plot of this movie you can boil it down real small is that mod thinks she's talking to god and she kills a lady and sets herself on fire I mean, that's kind of all that happens for the entire course of the movie. It's a character study. There's you yeah. know more to get out of it than that. But there's nothing to the plot, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was definitely a character study kind of movie. And, and in that way, it reminds me of the one that we watched at Christmas time with the guy who was who thought he was Santa. Mm, yeah. And like, it was that same sort of thing where I know that, that there are people who enjoy that kind of thing where they're just learning about a person. And I was bored to tears. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, can something please happen? Like literally yeah. anything. I take so many notes on the things that happen in movies because I want to remember them. I know I don't trust myself to remember them. So I take all the notes. Anytime something happens, I make a little note about it. This movie has less than one page of notes for me. I typically average two <laughs> Maybe three pages of notes. Yeah. And uh, like, it, yeah, it boiled down to almost nothing. There was some interesting interplay between Amanda, who is the palliative care patient, and Maud, and like Maud not being able to accept the lifestyle that Amanda has as yeah. she knows she's dying and she's just like doing whatever she wants to do. She's like, I'm going to live my life right now because this is all I have left. Yeah. But aside from was that, like, no, you got to get right with God. Yeah. And aside from that, like, I don't know, it didn't have much for me. Yeah, there was actually, that's the one really big note I took was where Amanda has this woman who I assume is a prostitute named Carol who comes and visits her and they do whatever they do. And oh, we saw some of what they did. <laughs> yeah, Maud saw too, which is inappropriate. And then Maud ends up like pulling Carol aside and be like, you have to get out of here. Never come back. 
because, you know, you're messing up her transition to being angelic and wonderful that uh-huh. I'm that I'm definitely succeeding at. Right. That is happening <laughs> in my head, but nowhere else. And in that scene, it's like there there's two different things going on. And on the one hand, she actually says something like, I see how you look at her. And like, she, she makes it clear, you know, this is not a bigotry thing. I'm not having a problem with what you're doing. I'm just saying you don't care about her. And I I do. And I'm going to send you away because I don't want anybody to be bad to her during mm-hmm. these last days. Like this is, and it or felt like even, a really nice thing. Not even so much to be bad f- to her, but just, I don't want anyone preventing her from reaching the <laughs> levels that she needs to reach in order to have the best afterlife. Well, and that's like the other side of it. That's oh. the, the positive side is she's my friend. I don't, you know, I don't want you around her because you're not nice to her, even though you're you're acting nice to her. It's clear you, you know, you're just using her. But on the other side, what she's doing is the I'm uplifting her uh-huh. toward heaven and I can't have your sinful ways around and that that's dark and bad. Okay, so the I'm her friend and I don't want people who are going to hurt her around her and I see how you look at her piece. From what I saw, Carol, the sex worker, like really liked Amanda and was it there for like positive it. reasons. Yeah. Like like was really legitimately there to make her last days better. Doing a job. <laughs> and so it's ironic that like she has that 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 Maud thinks she has that other piece to her mm-hmm. where she's like i'm protecting her her yeah. last days when she's actively not she's like isolating her from yes. everyone i well that's something the whole isolation indoctrination it's like a cult kind of thing you know yeah. keep keep everyone away who's gonna mess with the plan and stuff like that and she thinks she's getting somewhere with it but all of that is hallucination. And yes. probably her thought that Carol was looking at her badly was also hallucination. That's possible too. Yeah. Because it was very clear there's a scene where she like is trying to share or you know she's she's experiencing the warmth of God uh-huh. and she's sitting there with Amanda and like Amanda starts like imitating her yeah. and doing what she's doing and and Maud thinks, oh, you know, you feel it too. And Amanda's like, yeah, yeah. But it was very clear that Amanda was just faking it. Yeah. Whether to like offset some awkwardness around this woman who's like sort of looking like she's having an orgasm thinking about God. <laughs> Or whether she's doing it in more of a mocking way, I don't know. Because yeah, it was unclear. I thought Amanda was more interesting than Maud because Amanda was like dealing with these end of day things, and she's on one hand doing the whole like just live your life, life is short, do the things you love. I'm gonna smoke cigarettes and have sex and have my friends hang out with me all the time. And on the other hand, she was angry that she was dying because she was only 48 years old and she was angry that she had lost the use of her legs. Yeah. And she took that out on Maud sometimes. And I and I sort of felt like that moment where she was pretending that she also felt it had that like razor edge to it where she was she was really making fun of Maud. The only reason that that didn't th- that that razor edge didn't actually cut Maud is that Maud didn't realize it was there. <laughs> yeah, she was like thought things were going her way, which yeah. most of the time she did. Yeah, 
And then that, that razor edge kind of culminates during her birthday party where she finally, you know, Carol comes back. She has a bunch of her friends over and Amanda is very pointedly saying, I know what you tried to do. This is not okay. And turned it into making fun of Saint Maud. In front of everybody. Right. To the point where Maud snaps and slaps her and like sets the whole ball rolling and her getting fired and, Mm -hmm. you know, her like crisis of faith where she doesn't feel God for a while. Yeah. And that scene where she's at the party being made fun of and everybody's like surrounding her and getting in her way and everything, that felt totally like the movie Carrie. And she Mm, looks mm -hmm. like Carrie, too. And it was just very... This whole movie has to be inspired by Carrie. Like, there's so much connection to it. Like you said, that set off another thing. But there was a lot of that in the movie where... When the movie first started getting underway, I'm like, okay, things are building up to something. You know, like she... When she goes and works for a man, I'm like, all right, what's the conflict going to be here? And every time things started to ramp up to something was going to happen. Sometimes something did happen, but it was very minor. And then they just settle way back down. Like there when she got fired, she goes back home to her little apartment and she's in her apartment and just just like, bleh. And then later, some other huge thing happens. I think think it's when she has her seizure again. So yay, God is back, I guess. Yes. And it goes from there to her just sitting around. It kind of ramps up like you can hear the music crescendo. And then we cut to boring nothing. Yeah. The pacing was interesting in that way. I don't want to say bad because I think it's just a different way of storytelling. Yeah than what I am used to and what I enjoy, I guess. But yes, it definitely was doing a lot of like building up and then completely cutting back and you'd have to wait for that build up again. And then in the end, there was a climactic moment, which was quite climactic, but it didn't resolve anything. It didn't much. I mean, it kind of did for her. (laughs) Yeah, it resolved her life one way or the other. But I think it also, like, it resolved her issue with Amanda, although not necessarily the way she wanted it to be resolved. Yeah. But I think, you know, as much as she was maybe wouldn't have chosen to have killing Amanda as the thing she needed to do, I think she also was like, okay, well, that was the thing God needed me to do. Now I have passed the test. <laughs> now guy. I can go home, basically, was kind of how she, yeah. like, her response to that. Because there's a way to look at what happened where she kills Amanda, and then she, like, goes and gets a bunch of fuel, goes out to the beach, sets herself on fire, right? Like, yeah. that seems like, oh, crap, look what I've done. I'm going to be punished for this. I'm going to avoid that punishment by killing Mm. myself. But that didn't feel like what was happening at all. that's not what was happening. She didn't seem to have She had angel wings. Right. She, she, She didn't regret what had happened. She was like, okay, I have paid whatever price. I have passed whatever test. Now I can go home and I will be accepted into the arms of God, which mm-hmm. like she has her wings, she's on fire, everyone on the beach is bowing down <laughs> yes, to her. They all bow. Like there's this grand moment, and then that just flicker of the panic and her screaming, the, that that flash of reality. Yeah. Which 
I'm so glad that they did that because if that one second, <laughs> fraction of a second, hadn't been at the end of the movie, it would have been a complete failure to me. But that one flash of like, nope, she felt reality at the <laughs> <laughs> right at the end. I just wanted to punish her. <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of did. You know, that she didn't just get to get away with it. Yeah, it is worth noting that when she killed Amanda, she thought what she was seeing was that Amanda was possessed by the devil and yeah. was like, ha ha ha, I got you. I like managed to make you doubt your faith and yeah. fall apart. And she murdered her and... Defeated the devil, so I mean, good right, job. She killed the demon, and then was like, "Oh, but now there's this body full of holes here." <laughs> yeah, the vessel that was holding the demon is also dead. Yeah, I don't know. It was it. There was a lot there, and it's interesting. Now I'm sitting here thinking because you're like, "Oh, you wanted her punished," and I'm like, "I did," but that feels gross because she clearly was unwell. Yes, like physically and mentally, she was not okay, and so. When I really think about it, no, she did not need to be punished. I did not want her to, like, die in a fire on the beach. (laughs) But there is that, like, childlike sense of justice in me that was like, okay, she she got what she, you know, (laughs) she she knew at the end. She knew, which is gross, and I am not proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've delved into your psyche, and that is kind of what this movie did for me was like it was a lot of like i didn't feel like it was an interesting movie i didn't enjoy it the the plot was so basic because it was a character study we were just Mm -hmm. supposed to be interested in what was going on with her but it made me think about tons of things like Mm -hmm. whether they were related to the movie or not i just kind of set my brain into different directions because it was full of ideas i guess and you know it just i don't know it was a thoughtful experience if not an interesting entertaining one yes so now that's a thing that i want to talk about then i feel like watching this movie and and some of the movies we've watched recently have have reinforced this idea that i i am not about the esoteric entertainment yeah i i see the value of it like I get that this movie is probably a higher quality movie in terms of a lot of things than than most of the things that I watch. Yeah, it was fancy. Fancy. It's for smart and, people. And well done and smart, exactly. Like they're like it's supposed to make you think about things and like feel feelings and and yes. navel gaze. It's it's supposed yeah. to trigger navel gazing, <laughs> which as a society or culture or maybe even humanity wise like i don't even know it's not necessarily an american thing but like humans have kind of evolved to this place where navel gazing is the goal is it well okay this is kind of complicated and i'm working it out as i'm saying it so it's not gonna it probably won't end up making any sense at all but here's the thing when we started out people humans it was all about survival right like it was all about Get the food, get the warmth, don't break any bones because you'd probably (laughs) die. Like, it was all about that. And then we developed technology and skills and group society and all of these things that make it possible for us to be more efficient in those tasks. 
And so survival is no longer the ultimate goal. Like we move, we evolve past that, right? We, we discovered like, Oh, once, once you have all the survival things and there's still time left over, then there's like art and music and thinking and the ultimate goal of being a successful human becomes not just surviving, but like getting to the point where you then can sit around and think or art or create or whatever, right? Well, watch TV. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Then we, we, you know, like we continued becoming efficient and creating capitalism, which then creates extreme efficiency for some <laughs> yeah. based on utilizing the hours and energy of others, right? Like, right. Yeah, it's gross, but that's what we've done, right? Like there are people who now have all of the time because they've moved past that need to do things for themselves because they now have this thing we created called money, mm-hmm. which they can then just pay other people to do all the things, right? Yes. By they, I mean us, you and me, <laughs> are very much in that space, right? Yeah. And when you have so much time, even the arting and the creating and the thinking doesn't take up enough of the time. And then you fill that time with just filler, because we have also created things for distraction, yeah. you know, to distract the people who are overworked and might <laughs> decide to revolt yeah, against the idea. we don't want them thinking at all. That they should do all of the work while other people have all of the free time. Like, we've distracted them, but then we also use the same distraction because it's not satisfying to live a life of just leisure. Like... Yeah, we're not built for that. And it becomes like, it messes with our brains. So then we kind of disconnect from all of those, like feelings of this isn't enough. What more do I want? Blah, blah, blah. And then we end up just all watching TV all the time. And it's nothing but, you know, married at first sight. (gasps) Great. Yeah. So most of us are in that place, right? But then I think we're at a turning point. I think we're evolving to the next level where we actually start recognizing that that is not okay, that that's not good for our brains, for our bodies, or for our communities. And then we then reach that point where like, the people who just navel gaze, the people who consider themselves successful because they have gotten to the point where they don't have to do anything are no longer the successful ones. The successful ones are the ones who are at that point, have that ability, but then are like, you know what? Instead of navel gazing or distracting myself from the fact that navel gazing all the time is not actually satisfying for my brain, I am going to take all of this free time I have accumulated and do something to help others with it. And so we've like come back around to the idea of service to community and service to others in a way that I think is interesting and is progressive. It's not regressive. It's not going back to the time when we had to work together because that was the only way to survive. We've moved past that, but then mm-hmm. we've reached a point where we're like, oh, it is the only way to survive, but in a very different way. Does that Interesting. make sense? Well, I would say that there are also those of us who have evolved to that point who, instead of filling that time with service to others, are saying, I have all the free time in the world. I'm going to spend it working 
to make more money well, yeah. so that I just have the most money of all the money. There is that. There is definitely that's that. That's a whole thing. That's, I guess that's the other way you can go when you realize that doing nothing is not very satisfying. You're like, oh, I was more satisfied when I was working yeah. and accumulating. So I'm going to go back to doing that again. And then my number will get bigger. Yes. Life has become one big cookie clicker. Mm, yeah. For Elon. Yeah. Although I will acknowledge that what I have described feels very much like me also saying I'm the best because that is kind of what, what I have learned. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I'm just... Well, I think uh, you're right about that. Rather than using words like evolved and whatnot, I'll just say like <laughs> different approaches, perhaps. I mean, this is is the overall arc that is definitely what humanity has done, gone from pure survival to leisure time to filling that time with activities or distractions. Those are your Mm -hmm. kind of your options. And Mm -hmm. when I think about universal basic income, you know, Mm. people are so mad that someone can make money and then they won't do anything and they're wrong. That's not how human brains work. People will try to make more money than you get from the universal basic income because it's not enough to get all the stuff you want. It's only to keep you alive. So... Right. You know, you're going to do more. Because when you reach that point, and, you know, obviously I'm speaking from personal experience at this point, and, and my sample size of one, possibly two, if I consider what I've observed in you, is not scientifically sound. But there's a recovery period when you reach the point where you're like, oh, I have enough. I don't have to scramble to survive anymore. There's yeah. a recovery period that involves being like, Screw it. I'm not going to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I'm done. Like, I am opting out of all of this, like, hard work nonsense. (laughs) It's a significant period of time as you re-establish in your brain what it is that actually makes you happy. But I think you actually have to take the time to realize, A, doing nothing is not making me happy. Yeah. And B figure out, okay, what is the thing that makes me happy? Like, do I want to be writing? Do I want to be working out in the world with people? Do I want to be creating something that I, you know, then put out into the world? Like, how how am I going to go about interacting? And so if and when, I hope when, but if we ever do start to use like a universal basic income kind of a thing, we're really going to have to struggle through that first, like mm-hmm. probably five to 10 years yeah. of people <laughs> actually not working. Like, yeah, because but when you, you reach that point, the big problem with it won't be the people not working. It will be the people screaming about it yes. and saying, this has failed. There's nobody's working anymore, which they're doing right now, by the way. Right. Even though people are... <laughs> Desperately working to survive. Yeah. No, absolutely. It will be the people who cannot let go of that old mentality Mm -hmm. and are like, look at all of these people just sitting around doing nothing. The economy is collapsing, Mm -hmm. even though that's not what will happen. No. Like they won't, it won't matter what's happening reality wise around them. It will only matter what they think is going to happen. Well, and it's such a massive fundamental change to everything about our society that it's going to be very hard. It's going to not work the first time, I think. But we'll work on it. I mean, yeah, it I have my doubts that we will ever be able to get to that point because it it truly will take decades 
of, of adjusting and figuring it out and, mm-hmm. and allowing people to, to realize, oh, okay, I don't have to scramble, but I also don't want to just lay in bed all the time. Eating mac and cheese, because that's all I can afford. <laughs> so, you know, what am I going to do? It'll take time. And having been in the education system, I can see that people do not allow revolutionary ideas to take time to, no. they, they want things to change immediately. And when they yeah. don't, they go right back to the drawing board the next year and are like, no, well, we have to fix this. This didn't solve all of our problems <laughs> in nine months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, ridiculous. for sure. And then the sad thing is, it, it's literally just that five to 10 years, because after that, everybody else is born into this world. Right. And they're living that life from childhood. And they're like, everything's covered. I, I can dream as big as I want. What right. do I want to do? What do I want to be? And it's those amazing. Those people would be told about like, oh, you know, their grandparents would talk about how, you know, oh, <laughs> I had to work 40 hours a week yeah. minimum <laughs> in order to do blah, blah, blah. And it'll sound like my dad telling me he had to walk uphill both ways through yes. the snow to get to school. You know, like it will be so unfathomable at some point that it will just, it'll, it'll feel ridiculous. But yeah, it'll take something dramatic to get us to that point. And all of this is exactly what St. Maud is about. Well, I wanted to, I was actually going to tie it back together when yeah. I was saying like, you know, it won't matter to those people who are unhappy what's really going on. They will only see what they think is going on. They will only recognize True. what's happening in their heads. And that is very much like Maud. Maud only saw what was happening in her, I suspect, tumor-ridden brain. Yeah. So... Tie it all back around. Which, tying that around to Amanda, well, Amanda was telling Maud right before she got possessed, that she didn't understand what it was like to be dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and that, you know, this is an experience that is hard to go through, and these are the difficulties, And but maybe Maud had her own experience of that sort going on. I don't know. Sure. Well, that actually makes me think that like Amanda is kind of like that person on the other side of the rat race mentality, right? Yeah. Getting, you know, she's out of it. She knows that she's not, she's no longer a part of that push and she can either be miserable and die or she can find her moments of joy and die. Yeah. Like she knows that that's the reality. And I wonder if there's going to be a point in, you know, at at a species level where we get past that, like, frantic need to survive and avoid death at all costs, which when I think about it, that's what religion feels like to me is, is this like desperate attempt to avoid death or to pretend that it's it's, not the end. Or it's just a reaction to the fear of death. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if we will maybe get over that at some point and just be like, well, we just find the moments that bring us joy and satisfaction and completion, and then we die. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> and that if we can accept that, then maybe we don't we don't have this need to like collect all of the things, way more of the things than we could possibly use, because we really, as a species, are, are hoarders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. It's a mess out there. It is a mess out there. Now I am both pleased 
and vaguely annoyed that this movie has made me navel gaze for several minutes. It was several. Yeah, that's how I felt during the movie. So now you understand my feelings. Was yeah. like I, mainly because the movie, I was like, whatever, what's happening there? Let me think about something. Yeah, Just- I felt bored <laughs> during the movie, but I took the distraction route and definitely was like doing my, you know, on phone coloring <gasps> app while I was watching the movie. I was paying attention. Not only that, I, I got up and went and did the dishes. Well, but you can see the TV from dishes. No, I know, but usually I can't do anything else while I am watching a movie for the podcast because I have to take notes. Yeah. And this one, it got to a point where I was like, yeah, I don't (laughs) need to take notes on this. Yeah. Nothing is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Ratings. And that's why rating this is challenging. Because it is a very well-made movie that obviously is dealing with a lot of big stuff. And it's got a lot of ideas. It just doesn't have a lot of content, a lot happening. So I'm sure that this is a great movie in terms of greatness, whatever that is. But that doesn't mean I enjoy it. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to see this again. I, it's just not interesting. And I think we've seen like Christmas Evil that you were mentioning, where he, it's just a character study of this guy being Santa Claus. That was obviously much less quality of a film. That was mm-hmm. cheesy mm-hmm. and dumb, but it also was a better movie. Like mm-hmm. as a movie, like and the thing is, wait, better than Saint Maud? Yeah. Like, as hmm. as a piece of entertainment, like, I found myself more interested, and I think it did a better job of telling a story. There was more happening, and they could have done that here. Like, they could have had us thinking about these big issues while Maud actually does something instead of doing nothing. And I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I really like philosophical, smart entertainment, but I like it to be easy philosophical and smart like i like the matrix and fight club where i'm like "Mm, this is making me think about things and they're punching each other you know like that's that's what i like and this is just just thinking that's you're supposed to process and feel depressed and be horrified and i don't know that's just not for me yeah so I hate to rate it low just because I, I can tell like this is award-winning kind of greatness that I don't appreciate. But I'm going to rate it based on my thingies, how my brain works, the hallucinations that I have. Yes. And in my vision, the Lord has come to me and said that this movie deserves three ceiling cockroaches out of five, which... Is higher than I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very low, but it's up because it was a fairly good experience. Like, as you can tell, Mm -hmm. we had a lot of thoughts Mm -hmm. because of it, and that's great. It's great to think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I wouldn't really recommend it as a watch, but uh, it got me thinking. Mm -hmm. I think that there there are many reasons why people watch film entertainment, right? Like I, and I think you, we are people who watch movies and television shows 
for the release, the distraction, the, like we think so much in our regular lives that we're like yeah. stepping away from thinking and, and going just away. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's for fun. It's well, for the ease of it. Yes. But I don't actually like to go away from thinking. It's like, I like doing Sudokus and, you know, games where you have to think you have to solve stuff. But it's so much easier than the thinking and solving that real life requires. It's like a right. it exercises those same muscles, but easy. Low stakes. And this is not easy. Yes. A lot of my family members who are in the generation above me seem to approach watching television and movies this way, where it's it's about the educational yeah. aspect of it. It's about what they're learning, what they're getting, how they're bettering themselves. I'm not trying to better myself when I'm watching TV. <laughs> If I'm watching TV, I am actively not bettering myself. Like, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah, you're taking a break. But like that they, you know, uh, my my aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents and all of them, like, they watched TV to watch documentaries to learn about historical events or to learn about people or to watch these kinds of award-winning movies that, like, make you think about things. Mm -hmm. I remember being fairly young. I mean, I must have been in high school when there was a movie, a Russian movie called Burnt by the Sun mm. that came out and was like... It sounds great already. Oh my gosh. It was <laughs> the most depressing thing. I don't remember anything about it other than it was just horrifically depressing, yeah, terrible things happening to people, despite, you know, it was just awful. And my parents thought it was amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. There is something here. There is a quality here. But isn't the world depressing enough already? <laughs> like, come on. And and I that has never changed for me. Like, I, I see the value and I just don't. I'm not interested. Like, that's not what I want to add to my world. Or I will do it, but in very intentional ways. Like, this is the kind of movie I would take, I would watch, like, taking a class mm -hmm. to delve into philosophy and how humanity has evolved over time, <laughs> right? Like, there's a thing to be learned from it, but I would need to be in the mindset of, I want to learn a thing, not, I want to be entertained. Yeah. So I'm going to give it three ceiling cockroaches out of five as well for the exact same reasons that you did. I did not enjoy this as a three. I probably would have rated it more like a two. Mm -hmm. But I also think like <laughs> it deserves probably a five because <laughs> there was a lot going on there and it was it was well done and so much quality and I'm just a heathen who can't yeah. uh, appreciate it. We don't know nothing about nothing. No, no. And we want to keep it that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and also, I have, I really, I've grown tired of, of sitting and thinking about how things should be better. I did that a lot. And now I'm just like, you know what? That didn't accomplish anything. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to sit and think about things for much anymore. I've done that. I'm going to like find things to be done and do them and hope that that might make more of a change. It does make more of a change than sitting and thinking for sure. Fight the horror of a world gone mad. 
So for my hot political tip, I'm going to A, refer you back to this entire <laughs> podcast where I kind of like decided that humanity needs to evolve in a different direction and mm -hmm. take a new step. But also, um, I'm going to tie in the whole physical mental health thing. And, you know, this movie was all about people with cancer and with mental health issues. And I don't even know what all was going on with some of them. But I do know that in order for our world to be a better place, people need to be able to get treatment for the illnesses, brain or body, that they have. In order for that to happen, we need to stop treating healthcare as if it is a commodity that can be held hostage yeah. for exorbitant amounts of money. Yeah, if Maud had been paid attention to, if people had been monitoring her health, they would have really realized that there was something very wrong with her and put her somewhere safe and taken care of her. Yes. And that goes beyond, you know, what I'm, what I'm calling for is something far beyond like expanding Medicaid or yeah. the Affordable Care Act or even like single payer healthcare, like those are all things that are still based on the idea that healthcare is something that you can withhold from someone if yeah. they can't repay you. That's and not right. No, that is completely unacceptable. And um, I, I understand that the more elaborate our healthcare system gets, the more we have learned how to do like extreme, almost miraculous things to recover people from things that they otherwise would have died from. I get it. It's expensive. It, it, it takes a lot. But also, either we all have those things or none of us have those things is my take on that. You, yeah. you shouldn't get to live longer and through more just because you have hoarded more of the resources and kept them away from the rest of humanity. That's gross. Yeah. That's so, fair. yeah. Overthrow uh, capitalism, overthrow healthcare system, upend the entire way we see the world. That's what I think we should do. We call for revolution once again. Viva la revolución. Huzzah! Huzzah. Um, but in the meantime, if you're in Texas, advocate for the expanding of Medicaid and for making maternal health care and, and Medicaid access go for 12 months instead of the two months that they are pretending is six months. <laughs> that sounds familiar. All right. Well, we'll see you next time with a less depressing film. Bye, everybody. Bye. Don't forget to call your elected representatives. Ruthann, ma'am, do you mind? No, she doesn't mind. We're having a conversation here. So is she. She's in the conversation. <laughs> Miss Ruby. You never do that. That's not a thing you do. Why are you doing it now? You know, our listeners are not going to believe you when you say she never does that because it is a thing she does every time we're recording.